Around organized, mobilized, yeah, baby, yeah. La Salam, welcome to Politics in Command. The following discussion covers over a century of revolutionary history in Ireland. A few comrades break down some of the most important events in Irish history, as well as the significance of revolutionary organizing, and they provide some descriptions of current conditions in Ireland, especially in regard to British, European, and US imperialism. I'd like to thank the comrades who took the time to conduct this discussion. Hope you enjoy the episode. I've been told that Northern Ireland is a colony while Ireland is a semi-colony. How is Northern Ireland a colony and how is Ireland a semi-colony? Can you describe the differences between the two? Well, first off, we um, refer to the occupied part of our country as the occupied six counties. We don't use the phrase that imperialism gives it for the simple reason that we believe to use that phrase is to uh, give legitimacy on an artificial and illegal stateless win in Ireland. Uh, what you have said is Ireland is, a, is both a colony and a semi-colony, and that's a very important point to get out to uh, your listeners, because Ireland is a colony, first off, because it has re- and remains under an illegal military occupation by Britain in the occupied six counties, the most northeastern counties of Ireland. And it is a semi-colony because th- the remaining 26 counties, which we refer to as the free state, are under a semi-colonial um, influence of Britain, but also of the European Union and of uh, US imperialism. So I believe Ireland's revolutionary history begins a very long time ago with national groups fighting for independence, but I like to focus on uh, the communist history, especially Marxism or revolutionary science based in theory and practice. When did the ideas of communism, possibly Marxism, originate in Ireland? What kind of communist organizations exist in Ireland and the six counties? I'm glad you corrected me on that. And we'll go more into detail about this, but can you just uh, talk about the origins of this? Yes. Well, it's, that's a very interesting question for the simple reason that Irish social republicanism can... Well, republicanism in Ireland can trace its history back over 200 years to 1798 when there was um, an importation of the republican ideals of France and America into Ireland by a group called the United Irishmen under the leadership of Wolf Town, who we would refer to as the father of Irish republicanism. But at the same time, as socialist republicans, we can actually trace the history of the ideology of Irish socialist republicanism back to 1798 as well, where republicans such as Jemmy Hope would have been working class uh, proto-Marxists before Marx even existed, giving a working class analysis of the situation in Ireland at the, at the time. And for socialist republicans, we can say Jemmy Hope would be the start of an idea of putting a class analysis on the situation in Ireland that would come forward then to maybe 1848, where there was a next uprising, uh, a gentleman's uprising of the young Irelanders who really were part of the Anglo-Imperial uh, class in Ireland rising against uh English rule, but at the same time there was working class elements such as James Finton Lawler, an agrarian um, revolutionary who was saying the very same thing as Marx in 1848 about the need for organisation and, 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 and the ownership of the land and property. So while social Marxism may be seen as something very international, Marxism, people in Ireland were coming to the same conclusions as Marx at the same time. So communism has a very Irish flow in it in the country through Jemmy Hope and through James Finton Lawler. But it's really later on in the 1890s with uh, James Connolly and the arrival of the Irish Socialist Republican Party 
that James Connolly puts the Marxist methods into uh, implementation in Ireland. He he uses Marx to analyze the uh, conditions in Ireland, and he he puts this into a um, synthesis that he calls Irish Social Republicanism, and that's why we today continue to use Irish Social Republicanism as an analysis in Ireland. I'm sure my two comrades here have things to add on that as well. Anyway. It's also the fact that the Fenian tradition in Ireland, the Fenian tradition will be seen as the, I suppose, the revolutionary tradition in Ireland, um, the insurrectionary tradition, um, was very closely linked to the First International, and those Fenians are actually um, represented, represented at the First International. So the socialist element within republicanism has always been strong, it's always been not a dominant current. Um, unfortunately, it's never been a do- dominant cur- uh, current, but socialist republicanism has always been kind of possibly you could say is nearly the vanguard of the insurrectionary movement in Ireland. I come from the United States of America. Republican or republicanism means something completely different here in Ireland. Could you explain what republicanism means? Well, for us, um, republicanism would be a tradition of tone and, and certainly Connolly. And I think anyone that has read any of Connolly's works would realize that while people requested what they thought was his greatest piece of work, the one trend that went through all through and through all his work was basically the effort to communicate with people rather than just be a philosopher. But he realized that nationalism was instilled in people, but for for the wrong reasons, it was to instill in people the more or less imperialist ideal, and Connolly spoke about that. He said that the British had no issue with an Irish person becoming rich. The only thing they were disagreed on and fought over was that they agreed that the Irish workers should be skinned and who got the biggest piece of them. And um, if we go back, say, even into the, the Land League, what was the um, man's name? Davit. Davit, the Land League. Connolly also recognised at that time that if any person was taken from the land, it engendered a hatred and a patriotism throughout the country. And he recognized immediately that at the same time, people could be thrown out of their workplaces or out of their homes. And the nationalists, so-called nationalist home rulers, never even commented on it. And that we needed to go back and realize and gender the same patriotism into survival of our class as they had managed to achieve in, in that other nationalist tradition. Um, yeah, I think it would be um, fair to say as well that in Ireland there's, there is a clear distinction between Irish nationalists and Irish republicans. And republicanism in Ireland would be more egalitarian philosophy, which strands of socialism as well, whereas Irish nationalism would be seen as kind of nearly like a middle-class kind of bourgeois, pretty much section of the establishment, north and south. So the nationalists could be ten, have more capitalist tendencies. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what the two comrades just said there. But just to go into it for your um, international um, listenership and especially the American audience, I think there's a really diversification in the term Republican in Ireland and the term Republican in America, because a Republican. Just the philosophy of republicanism as it originates for the people, by the people, is a very broad church. And anybody can really subscribe to being under uh, a republican. Anybody who's against the idea of the divine right of kings and a monarchy can consider themselves a republican uh, based on that term. But as 
my comrades here have already explained in Ireland it's 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 completely different it's it, it it's not just um an anti monarchy or a, or a for the people by the people sentiment republicanism in Ireland would be almost exclusively uh, left wing um, that we we would differentiate between as 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 the comrades have said uh, nationalists in Ireland constitutional nationalists and republicans and there's even there's even a further differentiation in Ireland the word republican takes on a very special connotation because it, it, it has to do with the uh, material conditions in Ireland and our, and our historical struggle where in 1916, where there was an uprising in Ireland and a sovereign independent republic was declared in Dublin. It was proclaimed in, in uh, on April 24th, 1916, and it was defended for a week, but it was obviously crushed by British imperialism. A couple of years later, when prisoners were released and there was a vast move in the people to support the idea of republicanism, uh, a sovereign Irish Republic was, was, was established through a, a democratic general election. And this Republic was a people's Republic. It was, it was, it was socialist in character and it was suppressed by a counter revolution in 1922. And what we have then is somebody in Ireland take it, the term takes on a different tone because the word Republican in Ireland can actually be seen to mean somebody who continues to give their allegiance to our people's Republic proclaimed in 1916 and 1919. And not to the states that exist in Ireland, the free state and the occupied six county state. So as it's a, it's a, it's a very broad term internationally, it has a left wing meaning in Ireland, but it also has that very special meaning of still giving your allegiance to the revolutionary state that was suppressed in 1922 in Ireland. Wow. As they say in Ireland, very good lads. That explained a lot for me. Uh, and it's okay. So in 1858, an organization was established, uh, which was called the Irish Republican Brotherhood or the Finians, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, who were they and what did they do? Well, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, to be explained properly, has to be seen in context of the Republican struggle and the continuity of the Republican struggle. So, as I mentioned earlier on, there was the 1798 uprising, which we characterised as the first Republican uprising in Ireland. That was followed in 1803 by another uprising by the United Irishmen. And later then, as I said, the Gentleman's uh, Revolution in 1848, um, an uprising in Ireland, which was, which was more of the, uh, property classes against, against England. The, the Fenians, the IRB come around 10 years later. And why they're important is because the founding members of the IRB were active in the 1848 rebellion. They were active in the uprising against British rule then. And they were active in the following guerrilla campaign in 1849. But they were, the, the, re- the revolution at that stage was beaten in Ireland. And these men went into, uh, exile both in um, France, where they were involved in the socialist organizations, and in the United States of America. And what happened is this this revolutionary diaspora, 10 years later, got together and they decided that another wave of revolution would need to be organized in Ireland. And they had these meetings in the United States and they said, something needs to be done at home. We can't go home because we're in exile, but the movement should be reorganized at home. So they sent delegates home to to see, was there still a revolutionary movement in Ireland? Was there still a, a, a feeling amongst the people that they should rise against British rule? And two very important people in that organisation of this movement was James O'Mahony and, uh, sorry, John O'Mahony and, and James and James Stevens. And James Stevens was the head of the Irish Republican Brotherhood here in Ireland. And uh, John O'Mahony was the head of the Fenian Brotherhood in America. And these were sister organisations, uh, basically the exact same organization only organized across the pond uh, one in one in the united states and one, one in ireland and what happens is that james stevens decides that he'll take a walking tour of ireland and he walks around to see 
all across Ireland, are there still revolutionaries? Are there, are the, is the old movement still there and can it be reorganised? And out of that comes the Irish Republican Brotherhood, which, as you said, was established on St. Patrick's Day, the 17th of March, 1858, in a uh, timber yard in Dublin. And that, 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 that movement is probably, as, as my comrade earlier said, that movement is probably one of the first working class led, uh, Republican organizations. The membership of the Fenians would have been very, very working class. And as it's said, there was the links directly with, uh, the first international and with Marx and with Ingalls. And 10 years later, in the 18th, following a failed uprising in 1867, Marx was actually in touch with the Fenian prisoners and he made representations on their behalf. So if you read the documents of the, of the international, you can see that there's great correspondence between Marx and his daughter and some of the Fenian prisoners who were imprisoned in, in England. Uh, so in 1896, James Connolly founded the first socialist organization in Ireland, if we could say that, uh, the Irish Socialist Republican Party. Connolly wrote a famous and influential book titled The Hope of Ireland, which described two trends of the revolutionary movement in Ireland. One, one that was socialist and the other that was nationalist. Although Connolly Connolly stated the two trends were complementary to each other, each or his conclusion was that the socialist was actually the best patriot. Can you talk about this history and about James Connolly and these two trends? Yes, I, I think this is fundamentally important to where we are even today. Uh, Connolly realized that you couldn't have national freedom without having class freedom. Um, you cannot free a country while you have a people enslaved. But also the most important concept of it is that it's it's a position and a state of mind, even if we talk about flashback generally even, say, to 1916, while taking on the might of the British Empire, the likelihood of defeating the Empire in a military conflict was highly unlikely, but it was more for the hearts and minds of our own people to recognise this was our country and all its resources and belonged to the people of our country. Every day we still struggle with this concept because we are taking on a subservient mindset. He realized unless we broke out of this subservient mindset, we couldn't advance. The same as we are today, um, locked into electoralism. Electoralism is based and predicated on dependency. We have to break away from the concept of dependency. Our entitlements is our country, its resources, and we must get people into the mindset of realizing that what is theirs by right does not have to go cap in hand to look for um, menial components of it. And if we take that on board and recognize that our ability at any given stage to wrestle back from the robber class what is ours by right. We must break that mindset or we won't go forward. And I think he laboured on that mostly throughout all his works and he was quite right. I, I totally agree with that analysis there, but just I was just thinking there when you asked the question, there's there's a, there's an interesting uh, historical um, comparison that we can make with uh, James Conley, who who we, we certainly would view as the possibly, but we don't put people on pedestals. It's it's It's... it's possible to say that James Connolly was the most important uh, revolutionary thinker 
to uh, come out of the uh, Irish uh, Republican movement and the, the Socialist Republican movement. And uh, he synthesized Irish Socialist Republicanism, as I said earlier. But what's very interesting is that you mentioned the Irish Socialist Republican Party uh, formed in uh, 1896. And what's interesting about that is, is that what you can see there, at the time, in the 1890s, obviously, in the early 1900s, there was no internet, there was no... Uh, you know, Facebook, where people can organise and see what people all around the world are thinking. And what's, what I find very interesting is that Connolly was coming to very similar uh, terms of understanding of, of revolutionary theory and struggle as Lenin was, uh, isolated in Ireland and, 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 and in Russia. And so Connolly very clearly decided to form the Irish Social Republican Party as a revolutionary organisation. Possibly, you could argue, under the terms of um, Lenin, there's no revolutionary theory without the, you know there's no revolutionary without the party, and uh, this this is where I think Connie was coming from. He he saw the need for um, a revolutionary vanguard, a, a catalyst for, for for revolution in Ireland at that time. He was years ahead of himself. This is this is this is the 1890s we're talking about, um, and while the Irish Socialist Republican Party was 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 relatively short lived, you can say. What Connolly did was he he ended up going on and establishing the Irish Citizen Army as a as a militant vanguard in in 1913, and that 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 played the role. The Citizen Army in Ireland played the role that a party might have played in in, in other parts of the world. That 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 was the revolutionary organising body because political parties in Ireland aren't necessarily uh, very 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 popular because of their history of of capitulation and selling out. But what Connolly was able to do was use the the, the Citizen Army as what. Lenin would have used the Bolshevik Party as to be that driving engine of revolutionary change in Ireland. So I, d- I just think it's an interesting comparison between Connolly and Lenin on the international stage. Um, I think another point that should be said about uh, James Connolly's Irish Socialist Republican Party is that it was the first political party in Ireland to call for a republic, call for a fully independent republic. And it wasn't just the republic. Um, they demanded it was a workers' republic. So it shows you the centrality of socialist republicanism within the broader republican family. I think the relevancy of James Connolly and the Irish Socialist Republican Party is that he, he stated that it was only the working class who were the incorruptible inheritors of Irish freedom. And we still consider that um, relevant to this day now. Wow, I didn't know that. That's great points about how, yeah, Connolly was way ahead of his time, but also about the elections, because me coming from the United States of America, where this whole phase of democratic socialism is is stirring up, um, I think uh, our listeners in America should definitely take note of this. Um, okay, continuing on further down the line, in November 1913, a famous organization called Sinn Féin, spelled S-I-N-N-F-E-I-N, teamed up with the IRB, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, to form an open military organization called the Irish Volunteers. On another front, also in November 1913, the workers of a trade union, ITGWU, under James Connolly's leadership, formed an organization of self-defense of the workers called the Citizen Army. The Citizen Army, or the Irish Citizen Army, has a proletariat line, or had a proletariat line, and was more militant and violent than uh, the Sinn Féin, which carried out less militant tactics like boycotts. Can you describe these two organizations, Sinn Féin and the Citizen Army, and their historical significance? Yeah, that's a very good question, and obviously it's very uh, complex, so we'll probably go into a bit of detail on that between the three of us. Um, I'll start by saying that Sinn Féin, uh, it's important for, for your listeners to understand that Sinn Féin as a political party it began in 1908, and what's, well, actually it began in 1905 as a movement, and it became a party in 1908. And what's interesting about the term Sinn Féin 
is that it means ourselves alone. That's what it means in English. That's a Gaelic language term that means ourselves alone. And that was, the, the, the word Sinn Féin was much more than the party that had been established because what it was, was it, it came to be an, um, it represented the ideology of ourselves alone. This, 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 this is that Irish, the Irish people had a right to be independent. They had a right to national self-determination. And the, the phrase Sinn Féin would have very much summed that up. It would have been very easily understood at the time that the term Sinn Féin meant that we will be an independent and, and, and free nation. So Sinn Féin as a political party was established by a man called Arthur Griffith, who was actually a capitalist. Um, so Sinn Féin was a capitalist organisation, but pro-national liberation at that time. And the comparison is very important between Sinn Féin, the IRB, and the Irish Citizen Army. So I'll just go into that a, li- a little bit. What you had was Sinn Féin was a very broad church and remains a very broad church organisation today. And what it is was that Sinn Féin was able to capture everybody who believed in the idea of, of ourselves alone, of, of, a, of a national republic in Ireland, would be a, in Ireland that the Brits would have turned them Sinn Féiners. But Sinn Féin wasn't the ones responsible for, for either the formation of the volunteers or the establishment of the citizen army. It was just a political party that was very good at publicity and propaganda and captured the mindset, as I say. The Irish Republican Brotherhood, the Fenians, who we spoke about being established in 1858, had worked in secret and, and, and in the open for all of those 50 years down to the 1916 rising. It had, it had attempted to have a rising in 1867, which failed. It led a bombing campaign in England uh, called the Dynamite Campaign in the 1890s, which had been defeated. People were in prison for very long terms. And when th- this was also, for your own listeners, importantly, the Dynamite Campaign was ran by the American branch of the of the Fenian movement in, in the Fenian Brotherhood, a man called Adolfo Nossa. Uh, when they came out of prison, they reorganised again in and around the year of 1908. A man called Tom, Thomas J. Clark, who was very involved in the uh, Fenian Dynamite campaign in the 1890s, it tr- attempted to bl- blow up the London Bridge, went into exile into the United States, and he was there with a, ma- a very famous Fenian called John Devoy, who was the head of the movement, and he'd said to Clark, things need to be changed at home, you need to go home and reorganise the movement, and that's what happened. Clark came back in 1908, and he began to reorganise the revolutionary uh, movement in Ireland, got rid of the old guard and established a, a militant line in, in Ireland again. At the same time, separately, James Connolly, who at that stage was not a member of the IRB, was pushing for, for, for revolution in Ireland, a working class, very working class revolution. He saw the need for an international socialist revolution and the defeat of capitalism. We continue our tribute to the great men and leaders of 1916. We'd like to remember the working class hero of Ireland, We'd like to remember a man called James Connolly. The man was all shot through that came today into the Barrack Square. And the soldier I, I am not proud to say we killed him there. They brought him from the prison hospital. And to see him in that chair, I swear his smile, but far more quickly call a man to prayer maybe maybe I don't understand this thing that makes these rebels die yet all men love freedom and the spring clear in the sky I wouldn't do this deed again for all that I hold by as I gaze down my rifle at his breast but then then a soldier I they say he was different Kindly too apart from all the rest. A lover of the poor. 
his wounds ill-dressed. He faces like a man who knew a greater pain than blows or bullets ere the world began. Died he in vain, ready, present, and him just smiling. Christ, I felt my rifle shake. His wounds all open and around his chair a pool of blood. I swear his lips said, fire. Before my rifle shot that cursed lead. And I, I was picked to kill a man like that. James Connolly. As you say, he was involved in the ITGW. He was a, he was a, he, he also had come home from the United States in about 1910, I think. And he was involved in organizing unions and class resistance and, 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 and worker struggles. And in, in and, in and around, with, with the outbreak of, uh, World War One, things in Ireland changed because with Ireland being a colony of Britain and Dublin, Dublin at that stage was probably seen as the second city of the British Empire. Um, a lot of Irish people were fighting in the ranks of the British Army and engaging in this imperialist war. Connolly was very, very clear in Ireland that imperialist war should mean uh, an outbreak of revolution in, in Ireland. And he was pushing the exact same line as Lenin, but, but, but here in Ireland. And he was very clear that the only movement that could do that was the Republican movement. So he, be, he began to organise the working class for a revolution, chose, you say, the Citizen Army, but he also made the links with the IRB. Now, the IRB was possibly, at that point in time, the main revolutionary organisation. That nationalist uh, tendency was the, where social republicanism was at that stage not properly organised, the IRB was very much organised. And as I said, that had been in links with, with Marx's first international. Clark, more or less, uh, had taken control of the IRB and organised a, re- a revolutionary council that was going to plan a revolution, which was called uh, the Military Council. And on that included people, very famous figures in Ireland, such as Pardick Pierce, uh, Sean McDermott. These were the other, revo- the, key, the other two key with Clark revolutionary planners. And they decided that they were looking at Connolly's propaganda in the open in papers such as the Workers' Republic. And it was very, very clear that he was going to strike for revolution with or without the IRB, who had been organising in the secret. So they decided, we need to talk to Connolly before he, he goes and does his own thing without the Republican movement uh, support. So they got together in January 1916, Connie was saying, I'm gone for revolution. The world war cannot be, we cannot fail to strike for a republic during this time. The working class are ready to strike all across Europe. Ireland's going to strike a blow too. And the IRB agreed with them. And what they ended up doing was establishing a military council, as I said, a provisional government of the Irish Republic. And that led to their uprising in 1916, both the IRB and the uh, Irish Citizen Army, along with groups such as Coming Amon, a women's organisation, um, Nafina Air in a youth organisation, um, the Hibernian Rifles uh, and Arms, sort of nationalist, Catholic nationalist organisation, and support very much from the international community. Now, when that uprising took place, is where you can see we we were the, we were the first country to strike against the uh, imperialist war because the 1916 rising has to be taken in context of the imperialist war. So what Lenin and the Bolsheviks were doing later, a year later. Ireland actually rose before them. And the Citizen Army has often been described as the first Red Army in Europe. Uh, that, that, that's a very well-known phrase that's attributed to Lenin. I'm not quite sure he said it, but it's Red Army in Europe. Um, so they were they were putting forward a very proletarian line that this was, as, as my comrade earlier said, this was going to be a workers' republic. This was not just going to be a bourgeois nationalist republic. This was going to be a workers' republic. The working class would be in control. 
Um, can, can I ask on that? Because a lot of people have said the 1916 Easter Rising was about multiple organizations, multiple lines coming together, but you're saying it was mainly led by uh, uh, a socialist line? Exactly. What I, what You're correct that there were multiple organizations, multiple tendencies in the lead up to the 1916 Rising, working in the open for an Irish um, republic, uh, a separatist and a separatist agenda, we'll call it at that stage. And to explain it to your readers what, or listeners, what we say, separatism is the idea that Ireland should break with, with Britain, right? So we won't, we wouldn't even call them Republican. We'll say, as my comrade earlier said, nationalists. These were not, na- the idea of the Irish nation being, uh, uh, entitled to self-determination. Um, the engine of the change was the Irish citizen army and the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Both of whom can be argued fit into the uh, socialist republican tradition. While while there are coarse bourgeois nationalists involved in this, but the, 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 the rising would not have happened without the IRB or without the Citizen Army. They 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 are the the IRB was a mass organisation at this stage. The Citizen Army was smaller, but it had links to the trade union movement, which was mass at that, at that time too. So 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 what's what's key is the flag of Ireland today is known as the tricolour. And it's green, white, and orange. That's that's to represent the green represents the um, the native population, um, white represents peace supposedly, and uh, orange represents the uh, the planted population from from Britain and Scotland uh, who who came in and during the plantation. So it's it's like unity between the, the 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 native population and the planted population. But what the citizen army had was a totally different flag. They they had a a, a green flag, which is historically the colour of Ireland. With a, a, a plough representing the working class and agricultural labourers and, and the stars linked to the constellation, the uh, starry plough, obviously the uh, the Big Dipper, as they call it in the United States. Um, and this this is remains the social republican and the working class flag in Ireland. And while the um, tricolour was flown from the GPO, the General Post Office, the headquarters of the Republican government during 1916, this the um, the starry plough was flying across the road from what was then the Imperial Hotel. And the reason it was flying from the Imperial Hotel, this, the reason I'm going into this because it shows the socialist line of, of the, of the rising. Um, the reason it was flying from the Imperial Hotel is because, as you said, in November 1913, the Irish Army was established and that grew out of directly, um, a labour strike, uh, a mass lockout of 20,000 workers in Dublin by William Martin Murphy and a gang of 400 bosses. And the reason the, the, without going into the lockout, the reason the Starry Plough was flying over the Imperial Hotel is because William Martin Murphy actually owned the Imperial Hotel. So the Citizen Army occupied that during 1916 and put up the Starry Plough for the very reason to say, this republic will not be William Martin Murphy's republic, it's going to be the People's Republic. And that's why the tricolour on one side of the road, they had the Citizen Army on the far side of the road with, with the Starry Plough. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's very important uh, what the comrade here was just saying. Um, and we still struggle with with it today. When people talk about the free state as they see it, it must be stated that the free state as we know it was a British creation with the nationalists of our country. The 1919 Declaration, the Democratic Programme, the Republic is our Republic. Our Republic was crushed, absolutely crushed by the British and the ruling class here to what we have today. Yeah. And every single moment of strife we had since is a legacy of that period. 
So I certainly would like your listeners to be, uh, clearly understand, as we're trying to convey on a daily basis here, the cursed free state is a British creation. We are still standing by our republic, and as I stated earlier, because we cannot seize it back at any given moment, having the ability to do so, does not dis- diminish our claim to our republic. And that is where we need to, as they did, as the 1916 Rising was, was for the hearts and minds, it's the mindset of our own people. And that's the message we need to convey. But I think between 1913, as you mentioned, 1916 to 21, 22, as these historical events occur, we need to be to the fore to educate even our own people, never mind internationally, how this transition came about, how we were, how our republic was crushed, and what we lay claim to, and we must lay claim to it on a daily basis. So I was going to ask about the 1916 Easter Rising, but we covered that and how it relates to today's conditions. Um, but after the Easter Rising of 1916, there was the Black and Tan War. Can we? What What are the Black and What are the Black and Who are the Black and Tans, and what is the Black and Tan War? I'm very glad that you use the term the Black and Tan War because that is a phrase that we use as Republicans to describe. Uh, a period in the national liberation struggle. And just to explain to your readers what that is, or sorry, I keep saying readers, I mean listeners. Um, what, 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 what that is, is, um, obviously the struggle for national liberation in Ireland, the struggle for socialism continues. So we don't continue with, consider it finished. We consider it ongoing. We consider ourselves part of that struggle for national liberation and socialism today. The, as my comrade here was just explaining to you, the, the intricacies of the free state, um, the Free State was established off the back of the Black and Tan War with a, and a compromise with Britain. So the Free State will term the Black and Tan War the War for Independence because they view the establishment of the 26 counties as, as they want the people to believe that this was the establishment of Irish independence. We don't recognise that, so we refuse to use that term, so we call it the Tan War. And the reason we call it the Black and Tan War is because during that phase of the national liberation struggle, um, Britain was still an occupied in occupation of all of Ireland as a military occupation. And one of the forces used to do that was a group called the Black and Tans. They were, they were a group of uh, elite British soldiers who had served in, in World War I and had been um, more or less demobilised from uh, the ending of World War I in uh, 1918. And instead of putting these people uh, into the normal population, they were asked to stay on as an elite and come to Ireland to crush the revolution. So the Black and Tans were a very highly trained, very, very veteran uh, organization who had seen um, the worst of, of uh, excesses of World War One, and then were released on the general population in Ireland. And they committed absolute atrocities in Ireland where, 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 was, where only now people are getting to terms with the actual atrocities that were committed by the Black and Tans here in Ireland. Um, uh, to call someone a tan in Ireland today is possibly one of the worst insults you can call somebody, even even a hundred years after the, the the Black and Tan War, because they were shooting the civilian population, they were they were breaking the houses, they were raiding it. But what what also also what they were doing with the full backing of the British government was they were released to rape the, the female population to um try and destroy the revolutionary movement. Any women who were involved in the revolutionary movement or the or the um, partners of uh, Republican uh, army soldiers were were subjected to horrific uh, brutalizations by the Black and Tans, and this this is who the Black and Tans are. And one of the reasons that the war 
the war in that time between 1919 and, and 1920 um, was so mass in character was because it became it was a people's war, but it also was a re- revulsion at the tactics of Britain and particularly the Black and Tans drove people into the ranks of the citizen army and drove them into the Republican camp. So that sort of explain who the, the Black and Tans were in Ireland. They were established by Winston Churchill as well, I should just say. Yeah. I have a quick question. Uh, in the movie called The Wind That Shakes the Barley, uh, it showed Black and Tan soldiers... Cutting the hair off of women. Was this a symbolic, you know, punishment for something? What what did the cutting of the hair mean? Well that, that would that would have been a, a a regular occurrence in Ireland and that, that, that scene is probably the most um the most advanced um representation of the back and hands in Irish history because nobody goes into the, the, the treatment of what they had and that scene can probably be seen as number one symbolically of, of what I just talked, the campaign of rape. But also number two, um, that woman was going to get her hair cut in in Ireland at the time. Uh, women with short hair, you would have you would have been you would have known the black and tans were in the area. It would have been symbolic of what, of what had happened to that woman, it would, and she would have been saying, "This is this is a Fenian, this is a you know as you said a Sinn Fein, or this is a Republican, and that's why we've cut her hair short." She, she's someone who's connected to the revolution, so it was it was an attempt to um, embarrass or humiliate uh, a woman when, in actual fact, probably having her hair cropped made her more. Uh, well got in her local area because she was part of uh, the revolution and it, it, it also comes it also comes what's interesting is that the, the what the Brits didn't realise by cutting women's hair is they were putting them into a revolutionary tradition in the, in the folk memory because Irish Irish um, soldiers down through the years who fought against the English occupation even before the republican times would have cropped their hair very short and uh, would have been known um, as, as croppies that was, a, was, a, was another name for them uh, in 1798 but even earlier in um the 1500s even, Irish soldiers would have cut their hair very short to, to, to show that they, they, they were revolutionaries. Um, well, I think it's probably worth uh, mentioning that this year marks the, during the Tan War, this year marks the 100th anniversary of the Limerick Soviet. Um, so it was basically the Limerick, Limerick City, um, city in Ireland. The workers basically took control of the city, took control of the factories. Um, they introduced their own currency and they intentionally used the word Soviet. They called it the, the Limerick Soviet. Um, and their slogan was uh, "bread, not profits," and it wasn't wasn't the only example of the workers taking control of factories in other parts of the country. But Limerick specifically, they called it the, the Limerick Soviet. This year marks the hundredth anniversary of that during the town war. Wow, I haven't heard of that. I'm going to have to look more into that. That's great. Okay, let's talk about the Irish Republican Army, the IRA, and the various splits. Without going into too much detail, because that history could probably take up a whole entire episode. Um, but I've heard that throughout the past several decades, there existed many different IRA organizations. Uh, can you just explain the origins of the IRA and maybe where it stands today? Well, the, the IRA is internationally known as the um, force that was most prominent uh, for national liberation in Ireland. Uh, never in its history was it the only force fighting for national liberation and and and. and um, Never was it just one, maybe, uh, one particular group. Where the IRA has its origins is the 1916 rising that we previously talked about. So you had the Irish Citizen Army, you had the Irish Republican Brotherhood, you had the Irish Volunteers that you mentioned, Cumann Amon, Nafina Aaron, uh, the Hibernian Rifles. And what happened is, when the 16 rising was established, there was a provisional government established and a proclamation of a republic declared. So the forces who went out in response to that proclamation, were termed the Irish Republican Army because this this was the army of the Irish Republic, and that that 
that the IRA can trace its origins to Easter Monday, uh, 1916. All down through the years, as you say, there were, there were, there were spits. So the IRA's first spit probably took place, and I'm open to be correct on this, but it probably took place in, uh, the 1920, uh, 1920, 1921 period when the bourgeois section of the IRA decided that 26 counties would be established, the six counties would remain occupied by Britain, and they would have a a, a peace treaty with, with, with England, a treaty of surrender called, uh, as we call it, the Treaty, the 1922 Treaty, um, 21 Treaty, sorry, establishing the Free State in 1922, suppressing the Republic, and occupied um, six counties. So what you had is the IRA would have then split. There would have been the forces loyal to the Republic, remaining loyal to the Republic, who continued to use the term the Irish Republican Army, and the forces who now uh, backed the new uh, pro-imperialist Free States, which became known as the Free State Army, or what they tried to call themselves was the National Army, but they were known in this country as the Free State Army, uh, showing the people's disdain for them. And then, unfortunately, the Republican struggle has been uh, plagued by splits throughout the years. You had another split in 1926 within both the political and military uh, struggle to, and the establishment of uh, Fianna Fáil, um, which was supposedly a Fianna Fáil in the Gaelic language means the soldiers of destiny. Uh, this was deliberately being used to, to say that they were a militant uh, Republican organisation. But they were the, the reason for the split in twenty six was that Fianna Fáil decided they would enter the Free State Parliament and swear their allegiance to the the Crown in England and uh, go into Free State politics. That was a major split. Then you have uh, splits in the IRA again later on. Um, in the 30s, you had the, the there was a feeling in in the 1930s that the IRA should take on a more overtly socialist tone. It should be a socialist republican organisation, and there was a short-lived socialist republican organisation, a front for the IRA established called Serere, which was then stood down because of the, the Red Scare in the 1930s and the fear of communism and the Irish Catholic Church here in Ireland. But those volunteers who had been ragged. Volunteers is the term uh, that IRA uh, members would use for themselves. Uh, volunteer soldier is um, those volunteers who who saw themselves as as, as socialists in 1934 actually left the IRA on mass and established a new organisation called the Republican Congress. And why that's important is these 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 men were coming out of uh, the armed struggle, the armed revolutionary struggle. They weren't finished with the armed struggle, and they met with veterans of the Irish Citizen Army um, who were still alive from the 1916 struggle. And they reformed the Citizen Army, the Irish Citizen Army, uh, to, to fight as the, uh, the Army of the Working Class again under the, the Republican Congress. Republican Congress, again, was plagued by splits itself. So the IRA is plagued by splits, then the split of the IRA is plagued by splits. Just real quickly, can you talk about uh, if what organization you are with, what ideology you follow, and what kind of organizing you do? Well, I, the three of us here are... Um, members of the organization known as uh, Irish Socialist Republicans, um, which was established in uh, 2017, but also uh, members of an organization called Anti-Imperialist Action Ireland, which is a, a, a mass organization, a mass campaign against imperialism in Ireland. And we, we, we follow what we call Irish Socialist Republicanism as our ideology. So the name of our organization and the name of our ideology is Irish Socialist Republicanism. And the reason we term that is because we feel that Socialist Republicanism is what James Connolly synthesized as the Marxist method in Ireland. Uh, so when, when, when Connolly studied Marx and he, he, he studied socialism, he said, applying these conditions in Ireland, we'll call it Irish Socialist Republicanism because Republicanism is the revolutionary trend in Ireland. And also our, our, our organization, when it was established in um, 2017, we had 
taking a period to, to reassess the struggle for national liberation and socialism in Ireland and try and reorganise it. And we viewed uh, Marxism, Leninism, Maoism as a third and higher stage of uh, Marxism and said that we need to try and apply these conditions, the, the, these lessons from Maoism into, into Ireland today. So that is the social republican tradition in Ireland will be the communist tradition in Ireland, where it would be called communism in other countries. In Ireland, it's revolutionary uh, social republicanism. Um, officially launching a campaign called This is Our Mandate, This is Our Republic. It refers to the democratic program of 1919. Can you talk about this campaign and where it stands today? Yes, and again, we've been discussing history an awful lot today, and history is very important in the revolutionary struggle in Ireland. But we try to use our history to mobilize people today, to organize, to agitate, educate, and organize, as James Conley would say. And the reason we picked we specifically picked December 2018 to launch that campaign because it was 100 years since the uh, general election of 1918 when the people of Ireland overwhelmingly voted for an Irish Republic uh, to reject the British occupation of Ireland. So we decided 100 years on, the British occupation continues. We need to have a new campaign to remove Britain from Ireland and to remove imperialism from all of Ireland. So we launched the our mandate, our Republic campaign, as a people's campaign to, re- to rebuild, to reclaim and rebuild the All-Ireland Socialist Republic. And what it is based on is the 19, as my comrade earlier referred to, the 1919 Democratic Programme of the First All-Ireland. And that was a, a, a programme for government of, of, of the revolutionary Republicans when they established the Irish Republic. And it, and, and it talks about, it, it, it's, it's, it's an inherently socialist document that talks about the Commonwealth of, of, of the working class in control you're, you're more or less talking an attempt to, to, to establish a, a dictatorship and a proletariat in Ireland where the people are going to be provided for, not, 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 not the elite. And, it, and it, goes, it talks about property rights. It talks about the welfare of the people. It talks about all these things that were never implemented in Ireland. So even 100 years ago, the most radical documents we have are the 1916 Proclamation and the 1919 Democratic Programme. Now, while the 1916 Proclamation would be well known in Ireland... And anybody, even where we are today, if you were to stop somebody beside you and ask about the proclamation, they will have heard of it. But if they were asked about the democratic program of the first Dáil Éireann, they would never have heard of it. And to explain to your listeners that Dáil Éireann was the revolutionary parliament established as a dual power in Ireland by the Republicans in 1919. So our, our campaign is about getting the revolutionary message of Republicans out to the ordinary masses of the people and to try and find a rallying point for people against the free state to start creating a dual power again, a, rev- re- a revolutionary state within a state, systems of revolutionary councils led by the working class to, to, to rebuild what is the All-Ireland Social Republic against the free state and the uh, occupied six counties. Because we believe that we do, like Mark said, the socialist society will be born out of the womb of capitalism. We believe that the republic can be rebuilt within the, within the uh, imperialist states that exist in Ireland today. We believe that Already working class people have rejected, as my comrade earlier said, the electoral system in the, uh, the, the free state in the occupied six counties. So we're, what our campaign is trying to do is go into these communities, engage with them, apply the mass line and see what their issues are, collectively organise them and then say to them, while you're getting collectively organised, you also have the opportunity to build the revolutionary state here. This, this is the opportunity to build the, 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 the dual power, the red power, the republican power, the working class power. Um, back to the All-Ireland Republic. Because we believe every person in Ireland should give their allegiance to the All-Ireland Social Republic. As my comrade said, while it, while it was suppressed violently, it still exists and it needs to be rebuilt.
So this is what the Air Mandate is, a mass campaign to attempt to rebuild the All-Ireland Republic. Yes, and as we touched on earlier, um, Connolly had another little phrase that he said, history, knowing our history is like a lamp to the feet of the Irish worker in the stormy paths he must travel. While we don't want to go back and relive it, we do see the importance of, as these events crop up between this and 22, to be there firsthand to publish, relay to people what actually happened to our republic. And as we know, the phrase history is wrote by the victors. Between that and the revisions, it's crucial. But it's crucial not just to set the format for what went before us, but rather to regain the mindset of our struggle as we go forward. My comrade reminded me of a, of a point there that I'd just like to fit, uh, make about the Armada Day Republic campaign. What's important for your, for, your, for your listeners to understand is, as we said, Ireland is both a semi-colony and a colony. It's an oppressed nation, it's an occupied nation. But the Irish working class would have a very proud patriotic feeling amongst them and they would be very proud of their republican history and the resistance against britain so this campaign is about tapping into that and talking to the people again about how in previous generations we have we have fought against imperialism we've we've established our own republic which people are very proud of and we're going we're knocking on doors in working class communities and we're asking a very simple question to them and we're saying as part of this campaign do you give your allegiance to the republic of 1916 or do you give it to the free state and imperialism and that, 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 that's going to, working class people in Ireland are going to say we give our allegiance to the Irish Republic because they're so proud of the 1916 history. And that's the first step in moving them from giving their allegiance to uh, taking it away from the capitalist and imperialist states and giving it back to the Republic established in 1919. And um, also uh, something as part of our, as I said to you earlier, we see ourselves as all on a journey. One of the questions we have posed to ourselves is building a, building a political party compatible with building a revolutionary movement? And our analysis, no, it is not. They are not compatible. They are two competing strands. Electoralism and parties is predicated on dependency. We are trying to build independence. Yeah, I think that campaign, you could, you could probably argue as well that it's a rectification project within a mass of people that power doesn't lie with the capitalist political parties or the capitalist institutions which exist in Ireland at the moment that power lies with the people. And as I said earlier, that the term political party in Ireland is, 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 is not the way that Lennon would have argued around the uh, party of a new type, the, 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 the revolutionary organisation. Political parties in Ireland are seen by the working class as electoral parties, first and foremost. So we're trying to... We're trying to make them see the need for a new, a new, an organization of the new type is what we'd have to term it in Ireland. It's, it's the same idea around Lenin's idea of the party, but the party system has been ruined in Ireland through, through, through electorism. And we need them to shift away from putting their, as my comrade said, the, the, the dependency that they put into this figure who goes into the establishment. We need to shift that away from them. And the term, the term party would be viewed as just more of the same. So we're trying to build an organization of the new type rooted in, in, in working class communities and very much in Ireland build a political movement, a republican movement uh, for national liberation and socialism. I'd like to end this conversation by giving you all a red salute to the comrades here in, in Ireland. I really appreciate it. Your uh, country is very beautiful. Your history is very rich. And I've learned a lot in the past uh, hour or so speaking to you all. And I hope to all the listeners here 
uh, can learn more and it can inspire more people back home where I'm from in the United States of America. But also we could build some connections between comrades in both countries. So red salute to you all. I appreciate it. Marching down O'Connell Street with a starry plow on high. Here comes the citizens' army with a fist raised to the sky. Leading them was a mighty man with a mad rage in his eye. My name is James Conley. I didn't come here to die. With the fight for the rights of the working man, the small farmer too, to protect the proletariat from the bosses and the screws. So hold on to your rifles, boys. Don't give up the dream. Kill me in jail, but I never saw this cry.